you know, we're, we got a text that we're going to look into for a few minutes here, and we're going to continue to dig in over the next few weeks to talking about just kind of where we're at as Christians and what Jesus is asking us to do in these pivotal moments in the history of our world. And so today, we'll, hopefully this text can, can speak to us, um, no matter what you're experiencing right now in this moment we're living in. So one of my best friends growing up was this guy named Rich, and he actually used to go to church here years ago. Um, I mean, years and years ago. He'd lead worship here sometimes, and uh, we became friends back in high school, and we kind of immediately clicked. You know, I was a little more reserved, uh, quiet kid in high school, sometimes kind of negative, you know, and my friend Rich was this crazy, positive, like always down for an adventure kind of guy. Um, now, my friend Dustin's kind of like that in my life, uh, but I, I need people like that in my life, someone who's just like real positive, you know, because it helps lift me up. Um, but our personalities really meshed well together, and we became uh, best friends. And Laura and I, we started dating back when we were 16, and so we were dating at the time, and Laura loved Rich, too. Uh, they were both funny, and so they, they always kept uh, everybody laughing. And so we, we hung out all the time together, the three of us. We had an issue in our friendship during college, and I'm sure y'all have had this in your relationships with people. Some stuff happened, you know, and, and things just weren't the same. We didn't talk as much, and we all knew things were off. And I think uh, Rich had heard a sermon, if I remember the story correctly, by a pastor named Rob Bell. Y'all, many of, If you're my age, you know who he is, because if you grew up in church, but I would always listen to his sermons when I was in uh, high school and college, and I just loved them. And, and my friend liked him too, and so I think he listened to a sermon by Rob Bell, and it was about reconciliation. It was about resolving differences and conflict um, with people in your life. And the text may have been the actual text that I chose uh, for this morning. I'm not sure. But Rich heard this sermon, and he felt convicted about our relationship, and he made a decision to do something about it. I remember the night we were all hanging out at our old youth pastor's house, and Rich came over that night, and he wanted, he said, I want, Laura, can, can you and John come out on the back deck? I want to talk to y'all in private. And so we went out on the back porch, and he asked us, he's like, yeah, are y'all upset with me? Are y'all hurt by something I've done? And so we were able to really get deep in that moment, and we worked through our difference, you know, and we were able to resolve um, our issues. Rich uh, took with this guy named Glenn Stassen, he, was a, he passed away in the last few years, but a biblical scholar. Um, Glenn Stassen called what Rich took a transforming initiative. He took a transforming initiative. Led by the Spirit, Rich made a decision. He made a choice that he was going to take the initiative and try to make things right in our relationship. And because he was willing to take the initiative, we experienced transformation. A transforming initiative. Can you think of any times in your life when you or someone else took a transforming initiative and made things right in a broken relationship? Hopefully you've had experiences like that because sometimes that's, that's what it takes, right? Someone has to be willing to make that step. This idea of transforming initiatives has opened up the Sermon on the Mount to me. I told you all that last week we're beginning a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this was the first text that we were going to do. And 
As I've thought about transforming initiatives and learn about this idea, it has helped me understand better what Jesus was actually talking about in the Sermon on the Mount and how we can actually live out these teachings instead of just saying, well, they're, they're too high, they're these high ideals that I can never attain. No, like we actually can. And this idea of transforming initiatives has changed my way of understanding it. And so Jesus' ultimate goal in the Sermon on the Mount is that we do something that we do something to break these vicious cycles of sin and violence and, and all this stuff that we see in our lives and harm, that we need to say to ourselves, I'm going to do something to make a change. You know, often we're unhappy with the, things, with the way things are. We get stuck in bad habits and patterns, and we're not sure how to change. And Jesus in this sermon is inviting all of us to creatively imagine how we can take transforming initiatives today to break the harmful cycles and get unstuck. Have y'all been stuck in a harmful cycle before or had a relationship that's stuck in a harmful cycle? Jesus is going to offer us some ways to help get unstuck. So his method of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going I'm to tell you what it is, and then I'm going to break it down with an actual passage to help you see what I'm talking about. So you maybe know, and if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, it's in chapters 5 through 7 uh, of Matthew. And it gets into this section where he says, like, you've heard it was said. And then he says, but I tell you this. Yeah, he says it over and over and over again. And so what he's doing here is first he's referring back to the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And so first he's affirming the Mosaic law. You've heard it was said. You shall not murder. That's what ours today is going to say. But then what he does is he radicalizes the law is the second thing. And I'm going to explain what that means. And then the third thing he does is he offers a transforming initiative that his followers can take to break that vicious cycle that develops, all right? And so it's going to all make sense when I break it down, all right? So let me read our text real quick. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And if anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So I'm going to break this down for you, all right? There's a lot going on here. So first in this story, Jesus affirms the Mosaic law prohibiting murder, all right? It says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Taking someone's life is universally said is wrong in the Bible. Murdering someone is wrong. Murder is a fundamental denial of the value and worth of a human being. It is really one of the most extreme examples of dehumanizing behavior. And, and we've seen that this week in the way that Tyree Nichols was treated 
and, and they took his life, right? Murder is a fundamental denial of the humanity and the dignity of a person. And every single person is created in God's image, right? So murder, at the heart of the law of murder is that you shall not murder, is about the basic respect for human life. All people bear God's image. All people have worth. When you kill someone, you are in effect saying to them that their life has no value and no worth. But Jesus understood that most people were abiding by that law, all right? But the same people who were maybe not murdering folks were still engaged in other dehumanizing behaviors that showed little respect or value for human dignity and life. And so what Jesus does is he radicalizes the command, do not murder. Now when I say radical, what does radical really mean? When we hear radical, we may think uh, of a negative word, all right? Sometimes when we hear the word radical today, it, it makes us think, you know, when you think of someone being radicalized, we think of them taking it too far, right? When we think of religious people being radicalized, like a lot of bad things can happen, right? We think of dysfunction, inappropriate behavior. We think of even violence and hate and control. You may think of QAnon or January 6th or mass shootings when you think of the word radical. But that's not what the word radical fundamentally means. Radical essentially means to the root, to the root. So to radicalize the Mosaic law means to get to the root of the law, to the essence of the law, to the values that were underneath of the law, right? So Jesus is saying that it's not just about observing the letter of the law, but it's about understanding the spirit and the essence of the law. And we Christians get this wrong all the time. To be radicalized means you get to the essence, you get to the root, you get to the heart of the matter. And if we can do this, then we can experience transformation. So to understand the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand what it means to be radical. To understand what it means when Jesus says you need to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's basically saying you need to get beyond what some of them were doing, just following the letter of the law, and you need to get to the root. You need to be radicalized and understand what it means to be radical. It's moving beyond just following rules and getting to the essence, the root of those rules. So Jesus radicalizes the command, do not murder, by taking us deeper to the heart of the matter. Perhaps most people weren't killing other people, yet they still had anger in their hearts. They still insulted people. They engaged in verbal abuse and character assaults. When he says, when you say raka, that was a verbal, that was abusive language about another person. Or calling someone a fool. It was this public humiliation. He's saying people were still doing that, but maybe not killing people. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point here. If you think that's okay because you're not actually causing physical harm to somebody. And so he makes it clear, if you harbor anger against a person, if you say insults to them, if you publicly talk bad about them and humiliate them and publicly shame them, you're subject to judgment just like the murderers. Just like murder is dehumanizing, verbal abuse, inappropriate displays of anger, harboring resentment, these things are also dehumanizing. Now, just a side note, and, and this is particularly relevant for today. And I was going to say this even before um, some of the events of this past week. But I don't believe Jesus is talking about righteous anger at like injustice and oppression and things that are going on around us. 
The prophetic witness in Scripture and church history is full of righteous anger. Jesus himself, if you've read the gospel, showed righteous anger sometimes. When he went into the temple and flipped over the tables and all that, Jesus was angry, right? He was angry. He got angry at the religious leaders sometimes. There are things we should be angry about. However, Jesus is talking about harboring anger and resentment against people and allowing that anger to come out in verbal assaults and harmful speech and and hurtful behavior. And also, there's a difference between being angry at a system or the kind of powers and principalities working in this world and me harboring anger at Lawrence, for instance, right? There's a difference between those. So when you read verse 22... Which, you know, it says that you, if you call someone a fool, you are in danger of the fire of hell, right? You might get a little nervous about that. I remember when I was a kid, I, somebody had used this as a joke, you know, because I think I called my brother a fool. And they're like, you better go read Matthew chapter 5, verse such and such. And I read it, and I'm like, I ain't never saying that again. Um, for calling someone a fool, right? Danger of the fire of hell, that's serious, right? Yes, it is serious. And, and, and Jesus, I think, is using this intense language to help us understand that this matters, that our words matter, that what's going on in our hearts matter, that this kind of dehumanizing and hateful speech and these attitudes and these actions, they matter. And we need to understand that this kind of talk even can lead down dangerous paths. And we've seen this even in our uh, publicly today where we have these news stations and these powerful people with influence who are saying such hurtful and harmful things. And it's actually, I mean, we're talking about dangers of the fire of hell. We've seen hell on earth by a lot of the violence that's been inflicted on others based on the rhetoric of people in power that are empowering them and emboldening people to go do very harmful and hurtful things. Jesus is on to something, right? He knows that what we say, what's in our hearts, all of that matters, and it can lead down really dangerous paths. People may say, I've never laid a hand on anybody. But Jesus seems to be arguing that our speech, our anger, our resentment, verbal abuse, these, these are also forms of violence against fellow human beings. And the point is to take us to the root, to the heart of the matter. So in order to break the cycle, the vicious cycle of violence and unhealthy anger, We've got to acknowledge first the violence that exists within our own hearts. And we've got to own up to that. We've got to take that seriously. So in the next few verses, Jesus gives some practical application. He does what we could call creative theology, helping us figure out how to live out the radical will of God in this broken world in which we live. And so he gives some examples of ways that the people in that time could try to do some things to break these vicious cycles that he had seen happening around him. We're going to get angry with each other. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have issues. We're going to have resentment that starts to grow within our hearts. So what do we do about it? So he offers us a transforming initiative that we can take. And it's pretty simple. If you think someone has something against you, if there is a rift in that relationship, if there is anger and resentment growing within you, Jesus says, go to that person and seek reconciliation. He even says that if you're in the middle of worship and you realize, hey, somebody got something against me. I got somebody against somebody else. He said, stop your worship first. 
He says, if you're offering a sacrifice, leave the sacrifice at the altar and go get reconciled. Get right with that person. Now think about how serious this is. He says reconciling with people in your community is more important than worshiping God in the temple. Now, this is a big deal. Jesus was a Jewish man. The sacrificial system was how they lived their lives. This is how they were made right with God. This was their worship. It was very important. Their lives were built around it. Yet Jesus is saying that you need to postpone your worship to get things right with your people. It makes me think of this passage in 1 John. He says we love because he first loved us. He says whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So another thing I want us to think about is this, that, you know, this idea of like reconciliation with someone who has hurt you or you've got an issue with, it's not triangulation, all right? And I've, I've said this before, but I need to get real specific because And let me explain what I mean. From my experience, here's how most people deal with conflict and their anger. Imagine I have a problem with Christina, all right? We work together every day. We work together a long time. And and I get upset. I'm very angry with Christina. I don't like what she's done, right? Now, what usually happens in our society, in our culture, and this happens in church all the time, is that instead of going to talk to her about it, I'm going to go talk to my other coworker, Rachel, about it. And I'm going to be like, Rachel, like, you don't, you wouldn't believe what she's doing. Like, Christina is off the hook. She is just on a power trip. She's hurting people. She's causing harm and major issues. And, and then maybe after talking to Rachel about it, I go talk to somebody else about it. I'll bring John into it too, you know, and bring the whole family into it. And I'll go tell Grant about it and be like, man, you don't understand what's happening. And then, and then maybe um, I go to my small group and I, I, sh- I share with them, like, I got a prayer request, y'all. It's about Christina, you know. She really... <laughs> really is causing me problems. You wouldn't believe how dysfunctional she's been lately, you know. And then I start sharing with all of them about it. And then if things get real bad, maybe I even go public with it on social media. And, and maybe I don't mention her name. Maybe I don't, but people got to know what's going on, right? We got to get it out there. And all the while, like, I've never actually talked to the person that I would have the issue with. Now, is this how Jesus wants us to deal with these situations? Of course not. Jesus says, go to that person and be reconciled. And it's so important that you do it. He says, I don't want you to even worship until you do it because it's that important to him. You know, what we usually do is we create unhealthy triangles. Instead of going to people directly, we talk to other people and we create that triangle, right? Instead of going here, I go up here, and then maybe it gets back to that person, and then, and then there's pain, then people feel betrayed, they feel hurt, and it just makes things worse. As followers of Jesus, our work here on earth is too important for us to be feuding with each other all the time and harboring resentment against one another and spreading gossip and all this nonsense around our communities. We've got to stick together. We've got to work together and resolve conflicts as they arise. We can't let anger and resentment and bitterness and all that fester and grow within us. Our work is too important for that. The people people that Matthew was writing this gospel for in his community They were poor Christians who were facing intense persecution. They had the law coming after them. They had brutality. They had violence, all this stuff in their lives. And and Matthew, Jesus is essentially saying to these folks, he's like, man, y'all ain't got time for unresolved conflicts. Like, y'all need each other. 
Like we can't make it in this world that is so harsh and harmful and violent if we don't have each other. And this year may even get harder, y'all. And we're going to need each other. And so Jesus is saying, like, <coughs> y'all got to look out for each other. Y'all got to make these things right. And I know this is messy sometimes, all right? This is not one of those things that's just like, go do this, because there are a lot of complicated situations out there. It's not just like, I got a problem, we get together, we make it right. Me and my friend were able to do that in that moment, but we actually had more problems later in our relationship. Had to do it again, right? At my wife's transforming initiative, she took in the relationship, you know? And so these things happen, but there's also <coughs> even harder situations. Sometimes there's abuse or mistreatment. Sometimes there's bullying, and I'm not saying you got to go deal with that person like that, all right, because sometimes that's not even healthy, and that might not even be a safe option. You may need support. You may want to confront that person and go and talk to them, but there may need to be accountability. You may need someone to go with you. You may need the help of a therapist and other folks to come alongside you in that journey. There may need to be boundaries set. So it is complicated. It's messy, and I know it doesn't always work even. I've been... I, I have these conversations with people a lot, and I've experienced myself. I was talking with a colleague recently, and she shared that a, a leader in her church um, who had left her church community got upset, and they were hurt, and they left. And my colleague tried to address it with her, tried to work towards reconciliation, but the woman wasn't honest with her. And so, like, if there's not going to be honesty and transparency, it's going to be hard to, to actually move forward, right? You may just have to. All right, we're just going to have to move separate ways. It's going to happen, but I think Jesus is saying we've got to take it seriously, and we've got to think creatively, and we've got to try because these vicious cycles of anger and resentment, broken relationships, and coming out in hurtful ways, we've got to try to get to the root of that kind of stuff, and we've got to break these vicious cycles by taking the initiative and doing something about it. So I want to ask you all just a few questions here just to think about for a moment. What transforming initiative do you need to take this morning? You know, you can think about your relationships, and do you have strained relationships that need to be made right? Sometimes all it takes is actually one person saying, I'm going to take the initiative and do something about it. Are you harboring anger and resentment in your heart that you need to let go of? This isn't one of the questions, but maybe that, that idea of triangulation hit home for you, and you're like, man, I've been spending a lot of time talking about other people when they're not around. And maybe, maybe you need to think about it. that's not actually healthy, and that's making it worse. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to cut this cycle off, this vicious cycle that's happened. Get to the root of it and go talk to that person about it. Do you need to go to someone and say sorry for something you've done and take that initiative? So I want you all to be thinking about this this morning, and, and if it's true, then maybe you need to do something about it. And I'm not saying, maybe, I'm not saying you have to do it right now before you take communion or anything, because uh, you may need to think through it a little bit. <laughs> but don't think too much, because sometimes we think too much, and then we don't end up doing what we know we need to do, right? Um, but sometimes transformation is possible, and we think that it's not. We think we're always going to be stuck in these harmful cycles. But maybe it's just waiting on you. Maybe it's waiting on you to take the initiative 